Well, over the last uh, weeks, we've been doing a series on the Lord's Prayer, and I want to uh, just read again uh, the prayer. We didn't uh, read it for the last week or two, and uh, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 6 and verses 9 to 15. Uh, And this is a reminder of how Jesus taught his followers to pray. Uh, And of course, the disciples had asked him uh, one time to teach them how to pray. And his response is this. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Isn't that what we should be praying for in Syria? Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts or our sins, as we also have forgiven our debtors or those who sin against us. And then what we'll be thinking of this evening, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, then your Father will not forgive your sins. What a serious warning that is. Let's pray. I ask, Father, that as we reflect upon a little part of this amazing prayer, that you would speak to us and enable us to hear your voice. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. So we come to and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from the evil one. And we'll split this into two parts and begin with lead us not into temptation. My understanding is that in the original language of the Bible, the same word is used for both testing and tempting. That can lead to a certain amount of confusion. Uh, But whenever you read the word more or less all the time, uh, testing... It can mean tempting, and vice versa, tempting can mean testing. This is an important distinction to note for what I believe is this, that God tests us, but only Satan tempts us. In the Bible, God often tested his followers to demonstrate to others their loyalty and obedience to him. We may feel uncomfortable with that thought, But a prime example is when God told Abraham to go and sacrifice his precious son, Isaac. He was the boy of promise, the boy of Abraham and Sarah's old age, the boy who was the hope of Abraham's future. He was the one upon whom everything rested that Abraham held dear for the future. In fact, in Genesis 22 and verses 1 and 2, we read this. Sometime later, God tested Abraham, or tempted, and said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. And incredibly, Abraham sets off on a journey. Uh, And you know the the story only too well, how uh, Abraham uh, obediently followed God's instructions. He takes his son with him and some servants. Then he leaves the servants behind and he goes on and he goes to the extent of uh, even putting his son on the altar. 
and with the knife in his hand, ready to plunge into his only son's heart. And then suddenly we find that a ram is provided by God with its horns stuck in the bushes, and God provides the animal for sacrifice. What an amazing story of faith and obedience that was all about testing Abraham's commitment to God. Was he more in love with God than with his son? Was he more in love with God and serving God and obeying God than even laying hold of all the promises that God had given him? And of course, with his obedience rewarded, we read in Genesis 22 and 15 to 18, uh, these lovely words of confirmation from God. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. We have been blessed because of Abraham's obedience to God in going so far. But he was not being tempted. He was being tested. When Satan tempts us, it is never with the intention of testing our faith but with the intention of destroying it, the intention of undermining our witness and bringing disgrace to the cause of Christ. But here's the interesting thing. When in the same event we see the hand of God or of Satan at work, we can see them working with different agendas. God testing, encouraging reaffirming promises, strengthening for victory, Satan pressurizing, seducing, weakening if he can, and aiming at our downfall and our defeat. And so when Jesus says in this prayer that we are to pray, lead us not into temptation or into testing, what he's really asking is to pray for a prayer of protection upon us that we might not be led into such overwhelming temptation, even when we're being tested, that we fall prey to the power of the evil one who would take away our faith. It's a prayer of protection and strength in which we recognize our own weakness, our own susceptibility to fall, and we pray to be delivered from such temptation and from the devil who uses it. But some questions may arise in our heads about this whole thing of temptation. And I want to try and just answer a few questions, maybe refers to Scripture where possible. And here's the first question I want to ask. Does every Christian experience temptation? Well, the answer is obviously yes. Otherwise, otherwise, why would Jesus tell us to pray that we wouldn't be overcome by it? Every Christian experiences temptation. There is a a problem when a a minister speaks from a lectern or from a pulpit that you, you know, you talk about preachers are six feet above contradiction. Uh, And there's a, a difficulty when we look at those who are spiritual leaders that we think 
goodness, you know, he or she could never surely go through the things that I go through, could never be tempted by the things I'm tempted by. And we somehow put onto our Christian leaders an overlay of spirituality that really should not exist and certainly does not exist. Every single Christian is tempted. But there's another reason why we should believe that every Christian is tempted, and it is simply this, that Jesus himself was tempted. Matthew uh, chapter 4 and verse 1 reminds us of something very uh, significant, I think, in terms of this understanding of temptation. Uh, And notice the, the way this is worded. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted which is really meaning tested by the devil. Or is it tempted by the devil? You choose. You can work out what you think is the right way of understanding that. But notice that Jesus was led by the Spirit. And yet God does not tempt anybody. He tests. And yet here before Jesus begins his public ministry, the Spirit of God, Jesus, the Spirit of God, the equal partner in the Trinity with whom Jesus is able to say, I and the Father are one and the Spirit is equal with me in the the Trinity. The Spirit leads him into the desert to be tempted by the devil. Now, if Jesus was tempted, it's certainly not surprising if we are. So, are all Christians tempted? Absolutely. Absolutely. The second question is this, does God ever tempt us? Does God tempt his people? Let me turn you to uh, words that are fairly well known uh, in James chapter 1 and verses 13 to 14. Uh, James chapter 1 and verses 13 to 14, if I can just find the place. And uh, this is what we read uh, in James's words. When tempted... No one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he is dragged away and enticed. Now again, just look at that for a minute and just recognize the the logic of it, recognize the, uh, the, the, the soundness of what James is actually saying. God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. Okay, so James is very, very clear. God is not the source of temptation. But notice what the next verse 14 says. But each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he is dragged away and enticed. In other words, when we give in to temptation, we are enticed away from keeping our eyes on God, enticed away from doing what God would want, and we are brought away into sin. So does God ever tempt us? Certainly not. These wide words from James indicate that it's Satan who is the author of temptation. But the inference is that we have to accept responsibility for what we do. I remember going into a classroom one time when I was teaching uh, in Hollywood. 
uh, and uh, there was a real mess at the front. Uh, Somebody had put chewing gum on the teacher's chair, hoping that I would sit on it. Somebody had actually taken the board duster uh, and had rubbed the desk with all the chalk, uh, and the whole place was just a mess. Uh, And when the teacher goes in and said, Who did that? Wasn't me, sir. Wasn't me, sir. Not me. Uh, And everybody refused to take responsibility. We can be like that with God sometimes. God says, when we fail, when we yield to temptation, let's take responsibility because if we're honest, we like sinning. If we're honest, we sometimes shouldn't take the attitude before God. I couldn't help myself. It's because we choose to disobey God. It's because we choose to give in to temptation. But here's a question. Why does God test us or allow us to be tempted? Why does God allow us to be tested? Well, I guess there may be a number of answers that I can think of. Here's maybe the first one. I think he sometimes allows us to be tempted to humble us. And he's in the tempting, testing us to see whether we're full of pride and presumptuousness. And sometimes he needs to humble us. Sometimes we need to understand that as Christians, we cannot and dare not believe in what I've often called cheap grace. We cannot believe that it is God's job to forgive us, that we always presume because he's forgiven us in the past, he'll forgive us tomorrow no matter what we do. We cannot presume upon the goodness and the grace of God. And so sometimes I think we go through times of temptation that test our humility that warn us against pride and presumptuousness. For God would say to us, please don't presume that I've forgiven you, for that's not my job. Don't presume upon my forgiveness, because that is pride and presumptuousness that requires repentance in its own right. Or secondly, perhaps God allows us to be tempted or tested so that we might become more sympathetic to the plight of others. If we share common temptations uh, with others, then it's more likely that we'll be empathetic to how people are. When we see what people go through, when we understand the things that have shaped them and informed their decision-making, informed their actions, when we understand that we ourselves are tempted, just like others who give in where we sometimes don't, We need to learn not to judge others who have given in. You may be very strong in your faith. You may be able to stand and say, I can withstand any temptation that comes my way. But if we actually believe that all of us have been tempted and none of us is without temptation, when someone gives in, can we not learn to say, there but for the grace of God go I? Or thirdly, maybe we're tempted or tested by God to allow us to be those who rely more on his provision and grace. I wonder when Abraham was being tested by God and tempted by the devil, was there a conversation all his way to the land of Moriah with Isaac that went something like this? Lord, I really trust you to provide something other than my son for the offering. And as they got nearer to the place 
Did he begin to say more strongly internally, Lord, I really do trust you to provide an offering. And maybe as he got to the point where there was no offering and he puts his son on the altar, he says, Lord, are you going to turn up here for me? I don't know what kind of internal conversation he had. But I know that he had a tremendous faith and he had a tremendous trust that God would provide and in his grace would give him what he needed. Maybe when we're being tested, we need to learn what it is to trust in God for everything. Or perhaps another reason that God allows us to be tested is this, that testing and temptation teaches us perseverance. Another word for perseverance is endurance. You've often heard it said the Christian life is not a sprint but a marathon. And it may be a cliche, but it's true. I've often said to you, and I I like to think that there's a huge amount of truth in it. How can the world outside know that our faith is real if everything in our Christian faith is sunshine and roses? How can the world outside know that we've got something that enables people to withstand the difficulties of life and the sorrows of life and the bad things that happen to good people in life? That if the Christian church is somehow mollycoddled and protected from all those bad things that happen to other people, how could the world know that our faith is genuine? Why Christianity would be such magic that people would come to be Christians simply to get the magic protection so that nothing bad would ever happen in life. Actually, I think this comes around to the uh, question of healing, for example. If every Christian was healed, and I believe that God heals. I believe that God can heal, and I believe that God does heal. I have a huge issue that I do not see that healing happening as much or as often as I'd like. But if every Christian who took ill was healed all the time, then Christians wouldn't need to go out to the world and witness and just say, come and see how God through magic can heal left, right, and center, and people come to faith for the wrong reasons. It's a test a perseverance, a marathon, not a sprint. And in the marathon, there may be times when you get a terrible stitch and you're not running fast any longer and you're down to a rocking pace, maybe even a crawling pace, maybe even having to stop for a breather. But it's a marathon and not a sprint. But here's another question. Is temptation a giant that we cannot defeat? Are our own particular temptations unique? Let's look at 1 Corinthians 10 and verses 12 to 13. Because, first of all, this tells us, I think, that not only is temptation not a giant that we cannot defeat, it tells us that God provides a means of escape. So this is 1 Corinthians 10, 12 and 13. So, if you think you're standing firm... Be careful that you don't fall. Pride comes before a fall. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. Now, please take that on board. I said earlier on about 
putting Christian leaders and clergy and people on pedestals. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. You know, sometimes we will not confess our temptations to one another because we think, that's too silly. I'm so unspiritual. I couldn't possibly tell others what I'm being tempted about because they're so spiritual there would never be a problem for them. Every temptation you experience has been experienced by everybody else. And God is faithful. Just let that sink in. God is faithful. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man, and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. What amazing words. And the word translated way out that some uh, uh, other versions have escaped is of note here. It's a Greek word, ekbasis. And commentators tell me that this word was used to conjure up the image of an army holed up in the mountains but escapes from an impossible situation through a pass that they discover. The enemy's closing in. They're holed up in the mountains. They cannot understand or think how they're going to get out of it, but suddenly somebody discovers a pass, and they escape through that pass. God says, you will not be tempted beyond that which you're able to bear, and in that temptation, there will always be a way out if you choose to take it. And the way of escape may be bringing to mind what is written in God's Word. And sometimes it helps if we're familiar with Scripture to be able to quote Scripture and throw it back at the devil who tempts us. Or it can happen by our own recalling of how God has helped us in the past. It can be maybe a Christian person giving us advice and support. But I think we should be more ready to share our temptations with others. And remember that God will provide a way out. Now, I've been speaking about temptation. But all the way through, I've made an assumption that the devil exists. And, of course, the question that arises for some people is simply, does the devil actually exist? If he doesn't exist, then what has just been said is of no real point at all. So the answer of that to that question, of course, is given by Jesus in this great prayer, but deliver us from the evil one. And uh, in the well-known quotation I often use, C.S. Lewis wrote this, uh, and I, it's such a good quotation, I hope it goes up on screen uh, and uh, you can take it in. C.S. Lewis wrote, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence, The other is to believe and feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors. So the devil is a defeated foe, but he's a very real foe. I think it's in the uh, prayer course that we did some time ago from Holy Trinity Bronton. I can't remember uh, just who uh, it was uh, said of, but some great Christian saint of the past apparently woke up in the middle of the night and he had a vision of the devil in the room with him and he looked down and said, oh, it's only you, and he turned over and went back to sleep. We can get too taken up 
with the devil and with his power, but of course the opposite uh, uh, trouble is that we can disbelieve in his existence, and that is equally wrong. Teaching about spiritual warfare in my ministry has been a bit sporadic over the years, Uh, but, but let us just close with a few thoughts here about how the devil uses temptation. First of all, Satan packages temptation. When I was a a young lad, my dad taught me to fish. I I used to think it was his way of getting rid of me because sometimes I'd stand in the river for three hours catching nothing, and he'd go off and do something with his brother, my uncle, and and I I was just, you know, three hours later, he'd come back and said, you catch anything. But as I grew a bit older, I used to think he'd give me worms or something to stick on hooks, but what he had was a, a, a box of flies, Uh, And uh, when he opened up that box of flies, they were amazing, beautiful, shimmering colors. And of course, each particular fly was geared to attract a particular fish. So if you were after trout, you'd use one particular fly. If you're after another kind of fish, you'd use another. And the whole thing about the the, the bait and how beautifully they were made to mimic uh, insects uh, uh, and flies on the surface of the water was that the fish would see this shimmering color uh, and go up to snap hold of the fly, not seeing the hook underneath. And, uh, and of course, you would catch your, your uh, fish through the bait. Satan packages temptation. Satan is never going to dangle something before you that is so unattractive, so ugly, so repulsive that that you say, oh yeah, let's go for that. He's going to put the most attractive bait in front of you and if you're not careful, you bite and then you catch hold of the cruel hook underneath. So Satan packages temptation. Just be aware of that. Secondly, I think Satan seeks to persuade us. The devil cannot actually force you into sin. If you're a Christian, you're no longer blind. You're no longer dead in your sins, but alive to Christ, filled with the light of Jesus. And Satan cannot actually make you sin, but he can talk you into it. He will make you debate the rights and wrongs of something. He will entice you and argue with you against the rights of the situation. You know, did God say, oh, I don't think he really meant that. I really think when you look at the fruit of the tree in the garden, said to Adam and Eve, you really find it's really lovely and maybe God's trying to spoil your fun. And he begins that conversation with you and persuades. You need to tell him where to go. Literally. And then I think also Satan persists. You see, Jesus warned his disciples uh, in Matthew 26 and verse 41. He said, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Be alert. Keep a watch over your mind so people used to talk about a mind gate and an ear gate and an eye gate so that you would make sure that what came out of your mouth gate was correct and proper and true. Jesus says, watch and pray. 
Be on your guard. Be on the alert against evil and against temptation. And then I think Satan pressurizes. The truth is that we all experience times of especially severe temptation that floods our minds and comes upon us with wave after wave of opportunity. But as we read earlier, God won't let us be tempted beyond what we can bear. And sometimes you just have to learn to be practical. If I had some kind of weird disease that eating a bar of chocolate would kill me, can't imagine what kind of disease that might be. But, you know, if I, if I had that difficulty, I wouldn't go and apply for a job with Cadbury's. And sometimes we need to learn just to keep out of places that are not good for us. If you're tempted to being an alcoholic, don't work in a pub. If you're tempted to be an alcoholic, don't have alcohol in the house. Don't arrange to meet friends in the pub. If you're tempted at looking lustfully at members of the opposite sex, don't look at pictures that you shouldn't look at. Guard what you watch online. Be sensible and be practical about where you place yourself. If you place yourself in the very atmosphere by which you know you will face temptation, then little wonder if you fall. And we have to be very, very practical about that. I once had a best friend when I was at school, and uh, he and I did a lot of stuff together. We had a lot of stuff that was really fun, really good. Uh, and then as I got to know him a bit better, we did some stuff that wasn't so good. Uh, and I used to stay over at his house, and if my parents had known what we got up to and what we did, they would have, they would have been probably very saddened and very appalled. Uh, and there came a point in my Christian faith where I, I realized that if I was going to grow as a Christian, I was probably about 16 at the time, that I realized if I was going to grow as a Christian, I couldn't be best mates with this guy any longer. Uh, and I had to take the decision. You see, I wasn't strong enough to keep going to the places we were going, doing the things we were doing. I wasn't strong enough to say no. So I actually had to say, I'm sorry. I can't sit beside you in school anymore. I can't be your best mate anymore because I just don't have that strength. And he and I parted went our separate ways. As far as I know, uh, he's never given his life to Christ. Um, but as far as you know, it seems to have worked for me. But sometimes we just have to be practical and sometimes we have to make decisions that say if Satan pressurizes and uses other people to pressurize us, we need to avoid those people, avoid those situations, and not put ourselves in the aquarium or in the river where the angler's bait will come down and we can't stop ourselves. So Jesus said, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that your word is very clear that you do not tempt us. And we have to confess that sometimes we find it very hard to understand how you might test us. 
we think of that amazing story of Abraham and your call upon him to sacrifice Isaac on the altar. Lord, we're so glad that you did not really want him to go ahead with that, and we're so glad that you provided the lamb. But what an absolutely awesome test. And yet, out of his obedience, we're sitting here as part of all the nations on earth will be blessed through his obedience. So we thank you that one man's coming through the test, unmarked and unscathed, has been spiritually beneficial to us. So, Father, when we're being tested, help us to understand that though we may not know why we're being tested, though we may not know why you allow certain things to happen, why we go through experiences, help us to understand that you will use the experience as a blessing to others when we come through our testing with obedience and faith and trust. But help us also to be very aware of the wiles of the devil, to recognize his technique, the package temptation, persuade us and persist and pressurize us. Help us, Lord, to resist the devil, because the Bible tells us resist the devil and he will flee from you. So help us not to get either over-anxious about his working against us, nor prevent us, Lord, we pray, from going to the other extreme of ignoring his wiles and his ways. Help us to be a people who will not take the bait. And so maybe just before we come to sing. You could just take a moment of quiet. It may be that there is something that God is laying on your heart. It may be that there's an area in which you feel very weak. It may be that there's even just one specific area of temptation that, you know, you, you, you seem to do very well in most parts of the Christian life, but there's one particular area of temptation you keep falling down upon. It may be what you watch on the internet. It may be your attitude to others. It may be what you do in secret that nobody else sees. It may be a relationship that you've been responsible for breaking. I don't know what it is, but if there's something in which you just feel very, very weak, bring it to God now. And say, Lord, thank you that in whatever test I'm going through, I need not be overcome by it. But will you provide the way out for me? Let's just take a moment or two as the worship team come up on stage to pray about that. Father, thank you that you have not left us on our own to fight against temptation. Thank you that you have given us your Holy Spirit to fill our lives and to strengthen us and to teach us 
and to lead us into the ways of Jesus. Forgive us when we blame you for our failings. Forgive us when we say you didn't give us enough of your Spirit to prevent us from falling. And grant that you would help us to recognize the awful truth that when we sin and give in to temptation, it's because we want to and because we choose to. But help us also, Lord, to know that when we confess our weakness, when we come to you and say, Lord, we haven't got the wherewithal within ourselves, we haven't got the, the energy or the, 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 the power, the strength that we need, that actually we can come to you and find that you make us strong. And so may we come to you afresh, that the weak may say, I am strong, not because of anything in us or anything we have done, but because of what you have done for us and in us. And we pray it in Christ's name. Amen.